Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoone. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I am back. Episode 191, can't believe it. All right, I've got a question for you. So at the beginning of every podcast, I give a little personal update about my life and my journey. I've had a lot going on. For some reason, I feel like you guys want to hear that. But it hit me recently. No one actually emailed or said out loud, like, Nicole, you're extending episodes too long. Stop talking about yourself. So, But I don't know. It's just this little gut feeling that maybe I should ask you, do you want to hear my personal nuggets and tidbits and all that stuff at the beginning of every episode. I know I can go on for five to 10 minutes. There's so much going on in my life. Um, But if you don't want to hear it, I am super happy to focus all my attention on my amazing guests. And you can follow me on social media or I know sign up for my email blog slash newsletter slash diary I can't stop uh, babbling on about all the interesting things that hit my brain at NicoleDeBoom.com. Um, so here's here's what I'd like. Can you just email me? It could be a lot of emails, and hopefully I'll get back to all of you. But just shoot me a quick note at Nicole at NicoleDeBoom.com and let me know. Do you want me to keep sharing five to ten minutes on each episode about what's going on in my life? Does that work for you? Is it cool? Is it fun? Is it helpful? Or would you like me to just dive right into my guests? I will give you one last thing since I don't know the answer yet. I'm going to tell you that on March 3rd, Tim and I are fast tracking this crazy challenge we just created in our own minds and our own worlds called the five-way ski challenge. So prior to moving to Steamboat, I really didn't know a whole lot about skiing. I'd been on skate skis for a couple years and had a few uh, runs at Granby Ranch last winter for downhilling, but that was about it. And when we moved here, Tim was like, we need all these different kinds of skis because if we're going to live here, we need to embrace this amazing big winter. When you live in a mountain town, you know, you get dumped feet of snow each winter. And if you don't embrace winter, why, why would we be here? So we have each five sets of skis. Tim actually might have a couple more than that. Um, and we've been on them a lot. And one day I said, well, what if, what if we could figure out how to ski each set of skis for at least 30 to 90 minutes for each in one day? And it's got to be basically during a school day because we have a kid who's not going to do this challenge with us right away, although I'm sure she will one day. Um, And maybe we can hook up a babysitter if we have to go past the six hour limit, which of course we would because you got to get places and get on and off and take little breaks and eat bunches of food to keep going. So on Wednesday, March 3rd, Tim and I are going to go out and do Nordic touring. 
up on some epic rabbit ears pass trail. Then we're going to come down to the best cross country skiing in town and do two different ways to ski. We're going to skate ski and put these little skinny classic skis on where you go in those little tracks and go forward. I've only worn mine twice in my life. I've only like put those boots on twice and tried them. That's brand new to me. Then after doing both of those disciplines at Catamount, which is a really great cross-country uh, ski area in, near town, we are going to head over to the Big Mountain. And at Mount Werner, we are going to do our downhilling. And we're probably going to ski to the very last minute, get in the car by 2.45, get to school by 3 o'clock, pick up Wilder, pick up her babysitter, deposit them at home, and by 4.15 or so, we will be making our way uphill for our final leg of the day. Back on the big mountain, we are going to ski uphill called skinning. You have these things on the bottom of your skis, so it like grips the snow. For anyone who doesn't know, I didn't know before this year. And we're going to go up at least to the gondola where we will hopefully be seeing a spectacular sunset. Uh, stripping off our skis and skiing down, getting back to get the babysitter home by about 6.15 because it's her birthday. So there you go. It's going to be an epic day, March 3rd. If any of this sounds like disgustingly awesome to you, just let that little seed plant in your belly. (laughs) Tim and I may decide to offer some five-way ski touring in the future. You never know. Or it could be a huge flop and failure, but we'll document it all and we'll keep you posted. So by the next time, on the next podcast I put up, depending on what you tell me at Nicole at NicoleDeBoom.com, I may or may not be updating you on how that five-way ski challenge went. All right, you guys, on to today's guest. Um, You know, we all talk about wanting to turn our passions into work, like that that would be the ideal dream job. And I'm actually sort of working on that right now. And I think for many of us, the first thing to do is identify our passions. Like, what are we really passionate about right now in life? And then it's to see if our skills that allow us to turn it into a job actually align with our passions. What's really cool is that today's guest, Ryan Van Duzer, has done just that. And I've wanted to interview him since the first day I met him at Skirt Sports, believe it or not. He was in the store supporting our mutual friend, Dana D., who we talk about today. She's also episode 30, From Drug Addict to Love Addict. She's amazing. Definitely bookmark that one and get over and listen after this one. Um... See, Dana D was the first ever speaker for a series I hosted at the skirt store called Women Run the World, and she was awesome. And what's cool is when I met Ryan, it was like he was totally at home in this world of women's and empowerment and all the good stuff. And I could just feel something emanating from him that allowed him to feel totally at home. And it's something I call pure intentions. See, I feel like when you move forward in life with pure intentions, it's hard to make a wrong move. And this is the cool thing about Ryan. I feel like everything he does is founded by pure intentions. 
Um, that's, in my opinion, what makes him so special. He's relatable and vulnerable, something that many men struggle with. You know I don't have many men on the show. I mostly feature women, but there's something about Ryan that I know you're just going to listen to this and be like, yep, he fits. I had to hear from him today. Um, so today we talk about his journey from scrappy kid to, I guess, scrappy adult. <laughs> He'll probably laugh. Um, but it's, it's true, you know. <sighs> the truth is, <clears throat> he, he wants more of us to enjoy the magic of the outside and have fun doing it. And that is it. It's simple. Life doesn't have to be complicated, and that's what I love about Ryan. He is living his passion, he's doing it with pure intentions, and he's keeping it simple. So by now, you are ready to hear from Ryan Van Duzer, professional adventurer, in my opinion. He's a TV host, he's a content creator. Get over to YouTube, go to Duzer, D-U-Z-E-R TV, and uh, subscribe to his channel along with 100,000 other people who follow his every moves. He's a motivational speaker. He rides his bike all over the freaking world for love, for adventure, to inspire others, and to raise money. His number one goal in this life is to encourage people to just get out there. All right, get ready. Are you ready? I'm ready to hear from one of my new favorite people, Ryan Van Duzer. Good day. It's nice and sunny here. It is, you know, it's kind of cloudy here. You're going to get it after us. Yeah, probably. <laughs> you know where I live now, right? Yeah, Steamboat, right? Yes. Isn't yeah, that amazing? Cool. Steamboat's great. I mean, have you done any adventures in Steamboat? Not really. I rode through Steamboat this past summer when I was riding the Great Divide. And so, I, I mean, I came through Steamboat, but not really any epic adventures. And I know there's well, a lot to be had. Now I have to admit that I didn't watch every single video on your YouTube channel. <laughs> because, <laughs> okay. I, I mean, I was like cramming for the chat today. Yeah. And... I started, I watched a whole bunch of episodes. I mean, even this morning I woke up, I'm like, I got to watch Mama Pichu. I can't believe oh, I didn't yeah. watch that yet. That's Especially after one. that amazing breakfast I had with your mom years oh, ago. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. She won like breakfast with Nicole and Dana. That's D. right. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the really funny thing is like, she's like Dana D's best friend. Yeah. Or one of them. So to win breakfast with your best friend is hilarious. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Anything to raise a little money, you know? I know that's true. Um, I started recording. Okay, good. I'm right going on. in true Ryan Van Duzer style. Yeah, just hit that record like, button. We just do it, man. We just show yeah. all the real stuff. I like that. That's awesome. Um, yes. So speaking of raising money, you just ended a big fundraiser about something you're super passionate about. Absolutely. We raised $44,000 to get kids on bikes, which is pretty incredible because I've done a lot of fundraisers ever since high school where we you know, have a pancake breakfast or something and raise $600. And so this one was like, well, 44000 is like real money. I mean, how'd you do that though? Why the, how did it make the big jump to such a big dollar amount? Uh, I can thank the internet. I can thank Priority Bikes. And there's this new site called Rally Up where you can you can raffle. You can like 
make a raffle. And um, I saw other people doing it earlier um, or last year. And I was like, wow, they're making a lot of money. And so it's just, uh, you know, you can raffle something that's worth a lot of money and everybody wants it and they can donate. And, you know, I have a bigger audience now and uh, it all worked out. It just came together. But I mean, the thing is, like, you wouldn't be doing this stuff if you didn't care about the cause because you are one of the most authentic people. Like who you see is who you are, you know? You're not just yes. like, what can I do to like have some feel good things so more people will follow me, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, it's a big, like that was a big undertaking. So tell yeah, me like why, why is getting kids on bikes, you know, super close to your heart? Well, you know, I remember my first bike and it was pivotal in my journey to become an outdoor loving little guy. And uh, I won my first bike in a race. I went door to door asking for donations. It was a race that was giving all of its money toward cancer research. And I was young, I was like, I forget, like nine or 10. And I went door to door asking my neighbors for donations. And I raised, I don't know how much, maybe $350. This is way back in the mid eighties. And I raised the most and I won this Diamondback Sorrento, this beautiful cherry red mountain bike. And I rode that thing everywhere. And up until that point, I didn't have a good bike. And it just, I love the feeling of freedom that a bicycle gives you and confidence and the joy. I mean, we can all think back to a lot of our favorite childhood memories. And I can imagine that a lot of them involve riding a bike for the first time, taking the training wheels off and just feeling that excitement of moving with your own body, your own power. And so that's how I got my first bike. And so I know the power of it. And ever since that moment, I've been uh, a cyclist. I've been a lover of the outdoors and mother nature. And, uh, you know, I've done a lot of different fundraisers and events throughout the years, getting kids on bikes. I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Honduras and I helped raise money to get some of those kids bikes. And so, I mean, all sorts of different things, but uh, I just think the world will be a better place if we get more people on bikes. And if we get them hooked early, like me, then all the better, because then they might grow up and never want to drive a car like me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is so cool. We're coming back to the car thing, but I mean, the mid eighties, like, I was an early teen in the mid eighties myself yeah. and I don't remember having like good bikes, you know, I mean, we just had like an eight speed or a 10 speed was, you know, like the speeds kept <laughs> increasing yeah. and that was it. And you rode around without helmets and no hands on the handlebars. Exactly. Like you could ride for miles just cruising around the neighborhood. Um, and I, yeah, I just, I remember riding a bike, but I don't remember the emotional impact that yeah. you had with it. So there was something to that machine that really connected with you. And it's doesn't surprise me yeah. that riding a bike is basically what you do for a living. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just so fun. Even Today, I'm going to get on my bike after this conversation and race across town to a doctor's appointment. And it's going to be fun. It's fun to ride your bike. It's never a bummer. Like, you don't, I always tell people, like, you don't get on a bike and go on a ride for however long you ride and come back in, in a worse mood. You always come back in a better mood. You're right. You know, 
I guess I'll share a little bit of my experience with bike riding Yeah, is that I picked up serious bike riding after college when I became a triathlete. But then I rode it for a job, like literally rode a road bike only, never had a mountain bike. I thought mountain bikers were like smelly and weird and like didn't wear deodorant and hippie types. And, um, and I was more into like, let's ride for speed and let's make some money on this machine. Right. And when I was done racing, I just vowed that I would never do a bike ride. I didn't want to do again. Yeah. And so never do a flat bike ride to like get to a destination because I had to. Yeah. And it's only been later since then that I've developed a true love for riding when the pressure was off and I could just do, do it because that's what I wanted to do that day. And I think there's freedom in that mindset too, right? Like bike commuting was my favorite form of bike riding when I lived in Boulder. Yeah. Just what you're going to do today. Yep. It's just, it's just plain fun. It really is fun. And, um, you know, I like bike riding for the physical aspect, for the mental, mental aspect. It's, I've always been very environmentally minded. And so bike riding for me is a little bit of a statement, you know, and, uh, it's just, it just puts a smile on my face every day. Oh, how cool. Well, let's just say, you know, for people who are not yet subscribed to your channel, and they will be in like two seconds here, actually pause, go over to YouTube on your phone, pull up the app, subscribe to Doozer TV, right? Yep, that's it. <laughs> and it's D-U-Z-E-R, not two O's. Yes. Um, But, you know, you are, I was trying to think like, what is his job description? And this is what I wrote down, professional adventurer with skills. <laughs> um, you're doing pretty much what everyone I know wishes they could do. You're living your passion or maybe more so you turned your passion into work. Yeah. I mean, would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I really would say that's accurate. And I am so thankful every day that this is what I do. You know, I got a degree in broadcast journalism. I went to the University of Colorado I thought I wanted to be like a news guy, a news reporter. And I went through the broadcast journalism school. Then I got an internship, you know, at Nine News in Denver, the NBC station. And I learned quickly that's not what I wanted to do. Local news, unfortunately, a lot of the times is sad and depressing. There's a, a saying where they go, if it bleeds, it leads. And I wanted to make happy news. I wanted to make inspirational news. And that didn't jive with the local news stations. So after I graduated from college, I went and joined the Peace Corps in Honduras while all my other friends got jobs in the real world. Although I think Peace Corps was one of the most real jobs I've ever had. And that really opened my eyes to the world. It opened my eyes to life outside of Boulder. It opened my eyes to how most of the world lives. And, um, you know, from that moment on, I really wanted to create content that was both inspirational, but also helped in some way, help the environment, help socially, um, raise money, whatever I could do to make the world a better place, essentially. It sounds cheesy, but that's really my goal. And now with my YouTube channel, the main message is to get out there. That's my slogan, to get off your couch and get outside and breathe that fresh air and it doesn't have to be an epic adventure. You don't have to be an elite athlete. 
you can just go on a two mile walk around your house and I guarantee you, you're going to feel better. And while you're out there, you might meet somebody new or a neighbor you've never talked to because you're on the ground and you walk up and say hi and you're not in your car and you're not enclosed behind a fence or your door. And I just think that being out there is good in so many ways. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I actually, when I first had my baby, I did a lot of reading and also like asking people their experiences. And one thing that has been shown to help babies stop crying is to mm. literally just take them outside cool. and motion helps even more. So if you add it that helps layer, me stop crying too. <laughs> right. It's because you're just a big baby. Uh, no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I was thinking about how the experiences we have in our life, whether we choose them or they choose us, change us. Right. Yeah. And maybe later we'll do like a speed round of all your experiences and like cool. what changed, but you mentioned the Peace Corps and I don't want to just gloss over it. Like that's a, that's a big deal. I remember graduating from college. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had this Ivy league education and no clue. And I was like, I'll try, I'll do the Peace Corps. And I was so cocky and I just sort of barely filled out the application. I'm like, they'll take me. I mean, yeah. I never heard back, of course, because <laughs> it's not something you take lightly. I mean, you do this because it's sort of deep within you. You feel this need, right? Yeah. How did how did your experience in Honduras change you? Did you come away a different person? Yeah, in a lot of ways. I always say that Peace Corps enhanced me in different ways. It didn't so much change me, but it helped give me direction. And, um, you know, I went into Peace Corps, you know, I'd lived in Boulder for most of my life. I had done some service projects in the Dominican Republic and Guatemala. And so I had a taste of what, you know, developing countries were like. And that's what really inspired me to want to do a longer project for two years and really become part of a community. And so right after graduation, two, two months after I graduated from CU, I went down to Honduras and I lived in a small village in the middle of nowhere. And I lived in a little house with no running water and sometimes electricity. And it was a big change from life in Boulder, which is very, very comfortable, as we all know. And I absolutely loved my experience. Of course, it was the biggest challenge of my life, for sure. And I learned a ton about myself, but I loved it. I loved it because it was hard. <laughs> Life in Boulder, I'm not going to say it was easy, but it was what, you know, you just, you go, you know, elementary school to middle school to college and you have these dreams and you do it and you play sports and everything works out. I went to Honduras and not everything worked out. It wasn't easy. It was hard. It was hard to make friends. It was hard to learn the language. It was hard to start projects and do things that mattered. And those were all really humbling for me. Whereas before that point, you know, um, life was life was fairly smooth and easy. And uh, I, I I loved my experience. And I've been back, you know, six different times to visit the kids that I worked with. I worked in youth development, and I got to know all the kids in my neighborhood. And it was a beautiful project. And yeah, so it was so powerful that I've, I've been back and I check in on my kids because I didn't want to just leave the Peace Corps and never go back to Honduras. And because it was just, it's a very integral part of my life. 
And they're probably married with children now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. They're young adults now, which is crazy because they were they were children back in the day. But I guess that was, you know, I was in the Peace Corps 2003 to 2005. That was a long time ago now. Yeah. You know, um, you're probably about 10 years younger than me then. Yeah, I just turned 42. Yeah. Nice <laughs> job. Hitting the 40s. All right. Yes. You're only, you're only six years younger than me. Yeah, I'm not that Like, much. God, you look so great. And then <laughs> I was like, God, is that going to make me really look old? Like, what am I, your mom? Um, <laughs> I have a lot of gray hair, so it's I don't look that young anymore. Well, you know, I think that for certain people, seeking hard is important, mm -hmm. you know, seeking difficulty. And some people do it in a way that is detrimental to, you know, positive yeah. self-growth. I mean, maybe we could pause here and talk a little bit about um, the journey we both had with getting sober, Yeah, absolutely. which is, um, I'm not sure what was harder, what my life was like, or your life was like when drinking mm -hmm. or quitting drinking. Yeah. I don't know. What do you, let's talk about that a little bit because, um, I did just watch, like I mentioned your mama Pichu film, which is so cool. You guys are going to die when you get over to Ryan's channel. I'm talking to them now, not you. Um, and, uh, you just, you document your mom's journey, uh, in, you know, going from basically no exercise and being worried about heart disease and, and basically, you know, her longevity and you got her motivated and in shape. And it was yeah. really fun to watch you guys do in the hog back is where, where I used to live. Yeah. And, um, and then she did it. I mean, she freaking did the full adventure and pushed yeah. herself beyond her limits. But I, the reason I bring that up is you guys toasted with a beer <laughs> yeah. like the night before you started. I was like, Oh, he wasn't sober yet. Yeah. You know how maybe what? 10 years ago. I can't remember how long it ago was that 2012. Was. We did that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, now I've segued to your mom, but let's, let's keep on this track here. You know, what made you realize that having alcohol in your life was not a good thing? A lot of different reasons. It's deeply ingrained in my, my family, my dad, my uncle, my grandpa, great grandpa, all alcoholics. So it's in my blood. And I, you know, I was a pretty good kid. I didn't drink in high school. I was a goody goody. I wanted to make my mom's life as easy as possible and not be a problem child because her life was already difficult being a single mom of four kids. But once I was out of college and I had a little bit of my own money and I could go out and party and have fun, I really was a party animal, big time party animal. And I would drink to the point where I, would, I wouldn't remember things. I would black out all the time. I would get home, wonder how I got home. You know, all these things that you hear from full on raging alcoholics. And uh, I always played it off like, well, I only drink when I'm with friends, I only drink when I'm celebrating. It's, you know, none of my friends seem to think it's a problem. And I just, I was the life of the party. People knew if they were going to go out with Ryan Van Duzer, they were going to have the most fun ever, you know? And so I was kind of encouraged in a way to be a party animal. You know, of course I take full responsibility for it, but, but I was very good at partying. I'll say that I was really good at it. I had a great time. 
but it got to the point where, yeah, it was having negative effects on my life. And, um, you know, I've always worked in the world with, with youth development and kids and going to schools and giving presentations. And I started thinking like, what if the parents of these kids saw me out on a Friday or Saturday night, you know, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't want me to be the one going into the schools, talking to the kids about setting goals and accomplishing your huge dreams because here's you know maniac drunk ryan van duzer at the bars and i i finally just decided that it wasn't working for me it wasn't serving me in any way and i just stopped cold turkey bam i was done and it's the best decision i've ever made in my life i have no regrets i still have just as much fun and uh only positive results have come from not drinking you know i feel like I'm the um, female version of your drinking story, except I did drink younger than you too. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's really crazy because you're living this like hyper aware life, like, and super healthy life. You're yeah. very, you know, aware of what's going on around you in nature and you're in tune with yourself. And then it's like, oh, but I need this release. Yeah. And you're being fueled by people who were making you feel like that part of your identity was yeah. important. Yeah. Like, oh, he's a great drinker. He's a great partier, you know? Yeah. But the truth is like, you're probably a better partier now. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And I, still I mean, have just as much fun. Yeah. And I could, and maybe more because you remember it all. Yeah, exactly. And, um, I can't imagine any party you're at where you're not the life of the party. <laughs> so boom, <laughs> boom. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know I, I've been sober now in, in August will be six years, which is crazy to think that it's been that long. Um, but every day gets better. Every day is more and more beautiful. I'm I'm more present in every situation with humans that I meet with dear friends and strangers. I'm there. And, you know, in the past when I was drinking, I was a little bit foggy. And especially if I had a few drinks and I met somebody out and about, I just, it, I wasn't fully present. And now I am. And it's, it feels so much better. Well, you strip those layers away, you know, and, um, you are truly who you are now. You don't have any chemicals or vices that are like sort of adding a layer of haze or holding you back. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, it um, is so cool. <laughs> yeah. I know. Who would have thought that? And the word sober, weirdest word in the world. Yeah. Like super alienating, I think, polarizing. People yeah. don't like to say it. it yeah. And if you say you are, and then people are like, oh my God, then they get uncomfortable sometimes. It's just, it's a, it's a crazy dynamic. It is. Yeah. But, uh, it's the biggest gift I've ever given myself. It really is the best decision I've ever made in my life. Wow. That is so huge. I am so, so proud of you. Thanks. Well, I join you. I'm about 12 years in. So nice. Hey, I'm we we stopped at the same older, age. You're six years ahead there, <laughs> and we can do math. That's um, right. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, we let's just go back to your mom then, yeah. okay? Because she's probably been obviously been part of your journey the whole time. Yep. Watched you go through your struggles and your highs and lows, and um, you know, you really helped her maybe break through some barriers as well. But on your website, you our self-proclaimed mama's boy. Yes. And that is the coolest thing a guy can be. I yeah. just, 
I mean, I've seen guys wearing shirts that say like, I'm a feminist or, you know, yeah. just feminist. And I just love it. It just makes me so happy, you know? Yeah. Like you don't feel like your masculinity is threatened by saying, I love my mom. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to help women as much as you want to help anybody. So um, maybe we can talk a little bit about what it was like to grow up with the big Donna in charge and uh, all the things that maybe she helped plant in within you. Mm hmm. Yeah. So quick backstory, you know, she raised four of us on her own and um, I know it was a struggle for her in many different ways, financially, emotionally. And um, I was just very in tune at a young age with the difficulties of my mom's life. And I always looked out for her and I was always very defensive of her, but I, and I loved her a lot, of course. And I, you know, I, I owe a lot to my mom and what she taught all of us and instilled in our hearts. And that was just, you know, being a good person and doing the right thing. And even though my mom was really busy with work and then she went to college to get her degree while she had a full-time job and raising four kids, she always made time to come to our parent-teacher conferences and all of our sporting events. And remember, four kids, we all played sports. She was always there, always. And that's really, you know, and at the time it was just normal. Oh, my mom's at the game. Everybody's mom's at the game. You know, it's just how it is. But looking back, I'm like, wow, for her to make that effort to really be there always was quite incredible. And, um, you know, we um, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. We grew up in Boulder, which is a very well-off town, but we weren't your typical Boulder family. But she always said to me, I may not be able to give you everything you want, but I will get you everything you need. And that meant, you know, three meals a day, clothes. We always got a new outfit before the first day of school. And that was a really big deal for us. And um, yeah, my mom's amazing. All right. So I'm trying to like keep up with the quotes here. (laughs) I mean, this is amazing. I love that concept. And all of a sudden it made me think of my own daughter and how much she has of what she wants and not just what she needs. And, uh, I'd like to, I want to, I want to work on that. I think that's so cool. So when you grew up and you realized maybe it's time for me to give back to my mom a little bit here, was it you that planted the seed about doing the big epic adventure for her or had, did she say, I got to do something. It's time for a change. Kind of. Uh, we were at a a party and we were with a a family friend named Jeff Evans, who's a Boulder guy and he leads trips to Peru and other places around the world. And he mentioned to my mom that she should go on this trip. And my mom's initial reaction was no way. No. I mean, she's just, wasn't part of the adventure crew. It's like not, wasn't even in her mindset to be able to do something like that. And I remember driving home from the party saying, saying, we should think about that. We should do it. I will sign up with you right now if you want to do this. And that was the moment where she committed to it. And like you said earlier, she had never really done anything athletic, even though she lived in Boulder, she wasn't a hiker. She wasn't like a super fit Boulder mom. Um, And this really, uh, spurred her to uh, take control of her life in a way that she'd never taken control. And by this point, we were all grown. So she didn't have four kids to raise anymore. This was her time now to 
do what she wanted to do. And she had seen me, you know, do all these adventures around the world and she could live vicariously through them. But this was the first time that she got to lead an adventure. It was mom's adventure. And that was really special for all of us to be there and support her along the journey of getting ready and training. My brother was also on the trip in Peru. And it was quite the uh, the experience to see her do something that really was hard for her and really scary for her and to be there every step of the way. You know, it reminds me a little bit of finish lines or summits, yeah. right, yeah. in general. And the feeling you have when you get to the top or you cross the line or whatever that goal is. Was it more fulfilling for you? to watch your mom, you were behind her, you were filming her, you were showing her raw emotions. Was it more fulfilling for you to watch her reach her top than for you to have reached any of the million tops or lines that you'd set for yourself? Yeah. You know, in a way it really was because I was camera guy slash son slash cheerleader at all times. And I'll never forget like the final staircase up to the sun gate, which is very steep. And my mom slowly making her way up and I'm filming with tears in my eyes behind the camera. Like, this is so amazing. Like I was watching the movie already because I was looking through a viewfinder at my mom accomplishing this. But it was a weird, you know, <laughs> situation to be in. But yeah, it was incredible. My brother was crying, my mom, me, all the other people on our trip. They were all cheering for my mom because they knew how much it meant. For me, of course, I've challenged myself and I've done some very, very hard things and I feel proud of myself when I get to the finish line. But when you can support somebody else on their journey, and this was you know, a seven-month journey to get her to the top of that mountain. And so that was what was so beautiful. Well, the, the crazy thing is that once you got there, all you saw was fog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got a little ripped off there. We got... To- Machu Picchu was a cloudy day, but that's okay. <laughs> I mean, but that's the point. I mean, at the end of the day, it's really not about what you're looking down on. Yeah. yeah. God, I wish we could like somehow show tears in the viewfinder. Yeah. In the lens. Like, you know, I mean, I, I could feel it. It's just, mm-hmm. God, what a cool experience. It made me think like, I wonder if my mom wants to do something that yeah. pushes her. It yeah. doesn't have to be that epic, but I yeah. mean, maybe that's a good uh, pause point is to talk about the word epic because a lot of the things you do are, cons- I would consider epic, but I mean, you also do things just like zip over to the appointment you're going to have and that's not epic, but you're still having an epic day for you. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's like, what is it about? Everybody's epic is a little bit different. Yeah, you know, and, and growing up in a town like Boulder, where you know every other person has climbed Mount Everest or won Ironman, it's an interesting town to live in. Where you know you're only an adventurer if you're the best adventurer. You know, and my my philosophy behind it all is that if you're outside and you're having a good time, you're doing it right. It doesn't about matter about your time or your gear or how fast, or any of that stuff. As long as you're outside and loving nature, you're winning. And that's always been how I presented my content. I started my journey on public access TV way back in 2005, and I started my show, and it was called Out There. And the whole point was just to get out there. 
and I would run around Boulder with my little Sony Handycam and film just backyard adventures, like just fun stuff that anybody could do that was totally relatable where you watch it on TV and you're like, wow, that guy's having a great time. I want to go do what that guy's doing and bring my whole family. You know, I'm not like Survivor Man, like on Discovery Channel, where you have to be a technically trained survivalist to do these things. Anybody, anything that I do on my channel, pretty much anybody else can do at whatever right. speed you want to do it. God, and I love that. You know, I rarely have guys on my podcast because <laughs> a lot of, mostly probably women listen and they're like, it's a guy. I don't want to hear about him. I want to hear yeah. about yeah. some other woman. And I've had a handful though, and they're all very special. And I have had you in mind to have a conversation with for years. I mean, years. Um, maybe, did I meet you when Dana D came to Skirt Sports to yeah. do a talk? I think so. Yeah. And Dana D's been on the show. She was in my first year, my first handful of interviews. Yeah. Um, may, let's give her some props for a moment. Yes. Dana D is one of my best friends, mentors. She's an incredible woman. She's one that really helped me get sober. We've done adventures all over the world. I hang out with her and her wife, Xantha, more than anybody else. And so, you know, um, we, what, what, she is a, a very special human. So, you know, her, the name of her podcast, because I think people are going to want to go back and listen, was from, oh, it was from drug addict to love addict. Oh, I like that. And that is so her, right? And right now, she, uh, uh, career-wise, professionally, is going through hell. She is yeah. a business. She is a local restaurant owner. And she had, I think, three locations. Now is down to two yeah. or one and a half. You know, one's kind of opening and closing. And it's the Walnut Cafe in Boulder. And if you're there, you have to support her. Best pancakes in the world. <laughs> um, best of many other things. You might even have a menu item named for you at the South side, right? A Duzerito, yes. Oh yeah. Um, Tim and I started going there probably in the mid, mid to late nineties. We would go every Monday was basically a day off, but on the day off, you still swam like 4,000 yards in the morning. That was considered day off. So it was like our easy day. So we would go swim our long swim and then we would show up at the Walnut and uh, we would get so much food, yeah. eat it all. I mean, just piles. It's not, it's not like a greasy spoon, but it's just like a classic cafe with like yeah. creative and interesting you know, food choices. Anyway, um, so we've been going there forever and ever. And yeah. I just, I'm so in awe of people who can run a business like that for so many years and um, maintain such a level of joy and positivity, right? Yeah. And I feel like maybe that's why you were and have been attracted to Dana D because you have that same joy and positivity that emanate from you. Mm -hmm. And I just want to tell you, I usually win most positive, like in a room, <laughs> that is me. You know, people will go, who's the most positive? They don't know me. They'll point to me, but uh, you might beat me. I think you might actually be the ultimate <laughs> purveyor of joy and positivity to the world around you. And I just, I wonder, have, 
have you always been that way? Did you come out <laughs> at birth like uh, sparkly? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I kind I really have. And I'll never forget, I was in sixth grade and I was rollerblading near my house and my neighbor came out and uh, he's like, you know what I like about you, Ryan? And he was an older guy. He's like, I, you're always smiling. And to, up until that point, I had never really, you know, when you're young, you don't think I'm a positive person. It's just like, you're just young and you, you are who you are. And I, I'll never forget that. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So this is a good thing. People... People enjoy seeing other people smile. And I was like, wow, okay, that's that's neat. But I've always looked on the bright side of life, even through hardship. There's always something good about everything. And I've just realized that life is, I don't know, for me, it's it's more fun when I'm goofy and positive and surround myself with the, the same types of people and really bring that to a situation because I was, I know that a lot of people are struggling and I know that my positive demeanor really helps people. And that's, that's, that makes me feel really good. You know, and it feels, it feels, it feels good just to know that you can make somebody's day just by being you. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of power in that really small thing that your neighbor pointed out, which is the smile. I mean, yeah. there's scientific studies that show the power of turning your lips upward. Yeah. You know, I mean, it not only changes your own like body chemistry in the moment, but it's also contagious. And I bet you when he was talking to you, he wasn't frowning or being serious. He was no. probably smiling. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that positive outlook, it's that's what I love about what you're putting out there in the world. You know, we talk about it as content, but really it's your life. You're putting yeah. your life experiences out there for in a way that is hilarious, <laughs> fun, inspiring and uh, motivating, which are a little bit different things to inspire and to motivate. And I think it just seems like it comes so naturally to you. Yeah, it really does. And of course, I'm a human. I go through all sorts of emotions. I've, you know, I've been bummed out and depressed. And um, so I'm not like every day I'm like putting on like a mask that I'm happy. I mean, it really is pretty darn genuine. But I do try to make a point because I get this question a lot on my YouTube channel. Are you always so happy? Are you always so positive? Because a lot of people are skeptical. They're like, there's no way this guy can always be psyched. And it's true. I'm not always psyched. But I definitely look on the bright side of all situations. Even when I'm down, I try to have some perspective into being like, okay, this is, this is temporary. This is not going to last forever. And however I react to this situation is going to help me in life. And so a lot of times I choose to do very hard things. I run a hundred mile race, ride my bike for thousands of miles. And that, that's very hard. And in the moment you're like, this sucks. This is not fun. But when I do those hard things, it gets me ready for when life throws me things that I don't choose that are hard. And so I know that I've been there. I've been to that moment. I've been to the pain cave, that deep, dark place. And I've worked myself through it. And so sometimes in life, I don't choose the difficult times. And it really, really helps me. You know, I think this is like a area where we could really help some people because um, 
when you're at those points where it's low, you know, it won't last forever because no. you've been there. Do you have any sort of go to tactics where you, you know, that you immediately, do you have like Dana D on the bat phone or some, the doozer phone? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, I got to call my most positive friend or, you know, how, yeah. what are any little tactics you employ that help bring you back to that place? That's your baseline. This is a big one and it helps everybody and it's gratitude. And going back to Dana D, she's the one that kind of told me about something that she would do during tough times called the gratitude march. And when I'm in a hundred mile race or doing anything that's hard and it's difficult to put one foot in front of the other, she would tell me, do the gratitude march. With every step you take, you think about somebody that you love. And that helps pull you out of your own pity party, essentially, and gets you thinking about the important things in life. My mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, and really think about them as you're moving forward, as you're deep in the pain cave, it helps bring you out. And gratitude is a great practice on a daily level. At the end of every day, I walk out onto my balcony and I look into the sky and I just thank the world for another beautiful day on this planet. And I go through a few of the things that were great and gratitude really helps us just appreciate the small things in life. Cause there are so many small things that are beautiful and that we sometimes just don't appreciate as much as we should, you know, like a great sunrise, a sunset or a bird singing in a tree, things that are just kind of mundane, but really are magical. It's like our brains get stuck in the pain cave yeah, and they just keep saying, this is hard. This sucks. I want to quit. I want to yeah. stop. And it's basically, you're telling your brain, change the channel, mm -hmm. change the channel. Instead of this sucks. Who do I love? I like that. That's well <laughs> said. What change the channel? I like that. So, and I love the gratitude March because when, you know, a lot of people listening run, they run marathons. You always hit like the trudging point where oh, yeah. you're wondering if you should drop out and why you did it and why you're there. And you go through that. Right. And it's not a trudge. It's a, it's a march. Yeah. Mar you go forward through it. And that's the, that's the key moving forward, always moving forward and just really appreciating it. And, you know, every marathon on this planet, there's beautiful scenery all around. So yeah, you might be having a tough time, but just like stop and look around and appreciate Maybe you're in nature, maybe you're in a big city, and maybe there's people cheering you on that, that don't even know who you are, but they're cheering you on. And you're like, all right, I'm going to move a little faster for that person on the road who's cheering me on. And, just, and you start thinking of all these little things that are like great about the situation. Well, and that's, you know, what we're talking a lot about here is just connection. Yeah. In general. I mean, the people cheering you on are probably smiling. So then you start yeah. smiling and then your body yeah. gets happy. Exactly. <laughs> Boom. <Yeah. laughs> it's that easy. Um, so being the most positive guy on the planet, as we know, um, <laughs> you, you've also had to deal with your fair share of what you call meanies, mm -hmm. which is really hilarious because you <laughs> literally sit down in like one of your latest videos and you're like, I got to talk to you for a minute about yeah. meanies. Or, yeah. you know, something like that about, you know, common courtesy. Yeah. Like, why? 
we all have critics in our life, but when you put yourself out there in a big way and you've got close to a hundred thousand people subscribed to your channel, I mean, there's a lot of people watching you. So why would, how does it feel? I'm not asking why, cause you don't know probably why, but how does it feel when you see comments that are not so positive towards things that you're only trying to help the world by putting out there? Yeah, you know, it's disappointing. And I've put my life on the internet for the past 15 years. So I'm used to it and I get it. And it's kind of part of the deal. But it never, it doesn't make it any easier when you put your heart and soul into something and put it out there for the world with no other reason than to like make people happy and to show them something beautiful. And then they find something to be critical about. And a lot of times they're personal insults. So this guy is so annoying. I can't stand his voice. He's so obnoxious. You know, every insult you could ever imagine has been written on my YouTube channel. And it's, it's, it's a bummer because I, I would never do that to somebody. So why would they do that to me? Um, and I, you know, I, for me, it's really important to build a community on my channel. And so I respond to every single comment, all the positive ones, all the negative ones. And I do that because I want people to know that I'm a real person and I care about them and their goals. And I'm not just a YouTuber that puts up a video and has no interaction with people. Like I really want to get to know my viewers, even though I'll never know many of them in real life. And that goes for the meanies as well, you know, and I try to think where are they coming from? And a lot of times it says more about them than it does about me. And they're, may, they may be going through something hard in their lives and they haven't been told that they, somebody loves them in a long time. And that's sad. And they're projecting their sadness onto me. And I, a lot of these times, these guys just need a big hug. And if I could, I would. And I've turned around a lot of these negative comments into actually positive, you know, back and forth in situations where people apologize and they're like, you know, I didn't expect you to respond to me, which is another big one. They just, you know, hide behind their keyboard and fire off a message, not thinking that I'm ever even going to see it, but I will see it <laughs> and I will respond to it. And I want them to know that like, we can have respectful discourse. It doesn't always have to be us for versus them for whatever topic it is. I love that about you. Um, it's just, it's so aligned with who you are. You're transparent. You're just real. It's, and you truly care about humanity. Like you want to connect. Um, this is not all about just trying to make some money. Although I did love your video on how I make money. Oh, yes. doing this. oh, my gosh, you guys have to watch it. My favorite part was the video where I talk about my breakup with uh, who was it? Allie. Yeah. My, yeah. With Allie. That ended up being quite a profitable endeavor. Yeah. <laughs> Relationship <laughs> had a little profit involved. Um, You know, somebody once shared with me this concept of I mean, it's more of a business concept, but like every single interaction you have is basically a relationship or a connection because there's somebody behind it for yeah. the most part, except maybe stupid Facebook, yeah. which is very annoying. But, um, and anytime you have a negative interaction is a chance to turn it all around. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like what I'm hearing from you is it's negative. So do you start crying or do you read it and like, 
smile and go, there's something behind this. Or you know what I mean? Like you are literally living that advice I got, which was you have a chance to turn it all around and you take that opportunity instead of, you know, ignoring them and going, I don't want them on board anyway. Yeah. And a lot of my other commenters will be like, oh, don't pay attention to the haters, blah, blah, blah. And I get that mentality. Don't pay attention to them. But that's just not who I am. I do want to pay attention to them. I want them to know that I I care about them. And if they want to have a respectful conversation, I'm all about it. Sometimes the conversations go south really quickly and you just have to bail from those ones. But if they're truly engaged in, in wanting to have a conversation, I, I will do it. And, you know, some of these people have become my friends now. I just got an email this weekend from a guy who was like, this is so stupid. I can't believe you talked about Biden in your last video. It's so divisive. I'm never watching one of your videos again. <laughs> Capital letters. And I was like, you know, I took a moment and I, okay, I can kind of see where this guy's coming from. And I wrote back and told him I understood where he was coming from, that I, I understand that Maybe you don't like politics injected into your adventure videos. You want an escape. I get that. But this is important to me. My channel has always, you know, been my platform to speak about things that are important to me. And it's not just bikes and it's not just running. It's life and it's social justice and it's the environment. And these are things that are going to pop up from time to time. And, you know, all I want is to make my country and the world a better place. And we have different ideas on how that should happen. I understand that, you know, but this is, this is what I believe and and this is my truth. And a lot of people say, you know what, I get it. You know, I also am a proud American and I too want my country to be the best it can be. And your video triggered me because blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry. You know, and that happened this weekend. Man, this is just like amazing. (laughs) I want to go, I'm going to get on and like comment on all your videos just so you'll talk to me every day. Yeah, I definitely will. (laughs) (laughs) So what's the best advice you've ever gotten? Best advice. Um, Wow. I don't know. Um, You know, there's a lot of different people that have been influential in my life. And I would say that Dana D has been way up there and one of the most influential people in my life in, in many, many different ways. Um, but I can't remember like a specific, like one liner, but really, um, it all comes down to how you treat people being true to yourself and, you know, putting value into the world in some way, shape or form. And it doesn't have to be through YouTube. You don't have to have a giant audience. You don't have to put yourself out in a public way. You know, I truly believe that all of us have the power to make the world a better place, even on small levels, on big levels or whatever it is. And, you know, from all my experiences in the Peace Corps and growing up and these wonderful people I've met, those are the main takeaways is that we're on this planet for a pretty short amount of time. And if we can make it a little bit better, that is that's as much as we can ask for, essentially you know, and to, and have a good time and smile and make people laugh. Well, then let's talk about some of these incredible adventures that you've (laughs) turned into a job and go back to what we had mentioned in the beginning was that every time you set a goal and you accomplish it, or at least set out to accomplish it, maybe you don't even quite get to the end. You are changed in some way afterward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I attempted to write down a list of adventures that I could find that you've done. 
and there's way too many. Um, but why don't we start with a few? Okay. Okay. And then you can add on some that I missed. So let's talk about your most recent, which is your great divide mountain bike ride. Yeah. That one was awesome. And that was, that's had been a dream of mine for many years. It's the longest off-road trail in the world it goes from Banff, Canada to the border of Mexico. And, um, it's been around since 1997. So it's been on my mind forever. And this summer I was supposed to ride the length of Great Britain with Dana D. We were going to ride from the south to the north, but of course, COVID travel couldn't happen. And so I looked closer to home and I was like, wait a second, I forgot all about this. I can go do the Great Divide. That's kind of in my backyard. And that was a really beautiful experience. I had no idea just how blown away I would be on a, on a daily um, level at just the, the nature of that ride and the people along the way. And it was trail magic almost every, every day. And trail magic when I meet somebody unexpectedly who just comes out and just wants to help for no other reason than wanting to help. And since there's so many cyclists that do this route throughout, you know, since 1997 from all over the world, there are, you know, trail angels along the route that they're, they're out there waiting essentially to, to help people out. And I'd never really experienced that on that level. The Great Divide was really special in that way. Do you ever wonder, like, was that person real? <laughs> yeah. Were you like, they're not there anymore? Did I dream that? Yeah. You um, know, I will have this amazing two hour interaction with somebody and then, you know, get on my bike and ride away and be like, wow, <laughs> that was that was the most beautiful thing that's happened in a long time. And may I might probably not ever see them again, but that is going to last me for a lifetime, just their kindness. You know, I wonder too, if when you're on these adventures that you're more in touch and that these connections can be more powerful than they would be just like commuting yeah. through town. Totally. Yeah. When you're on an adventure, it's hard. Every day is hard. You have to navigate and you have to find food and pack your bike and ride up and down mountains and go through weather patterns. And it's, it's hard. And so when you meet somebody out there that makes it just a little bit easier, it means the world to me. And All I right. met a wonderful couple, the first one on the ride in, in Montana. And out of nowhere, this woman's like, hey, how you doing? Come on over. And I was like, what do you mean, come on over? She lived in a little farmhouse. And she brought us over to her front deck. And it was a beautiful summer day. And she brought me out a cheese sandwich. And my friend John and his dog Mira were there. And then her, her boyfriend came out and we just sat and chatted for two hours about life and their whole goal. And they've, they've built like this, they live on a ranch, but they've built all these little tiny houses where cyclists can stay the night and they feed them food and they give them drinks and beer and whatever they want. And it's all free. They will not take a dollar from any rider. And what they told me when they left is we want the riders to come here and feel the love and kindness that we give them. And then take that with them and share it down the road. And that was just, it was so beautiful. That might be the best advice you've ever gotten. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> really? <laughs> so great divide. Did it like, I don't know, reignite your faith in mankind or like that was how you were, because we're going through this crazy pandemic and all, yeah. you know, lots of political divide and, and you get out there in nature and all of a sudden, you know, I, it just feels like that was one of the the big messages for you where you came out a little bit different or a little bit softer. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, going into the Great Divide, the world had been shut down for months, and I did it in uh, mid-July. And yeah, it, the people I met were definitely the highlight. And I met these types of people the whole way. And it really did inv reinvigorate my love for humanity. I've always, of course, loved humanity, but this was just like live, in my face, love and kindness. And it happened day after day after day. And uh, yeah, it really, it really helped. And I, I got home, like, that's a good way to put it. I got home a little softer. My heart mm -hmm. was a little bit more tender. And um, that's the beauty of doing adventures. It's not just about doing something physically hard. That's like, a, that's, for me, that's a, a small portion of it. It really is the connection with the humans along the way. Well, it's so interesting because I think, you know, going all the way back to Peace Corps, you are driven by trying things that are hard, seeking hardship almost, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. going out and riding and you were, you weren't alone on Great Divide. No, I was with my friend, John and his dog, Mira. And we were, we were a good crew. We were like Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn. And oh, that is so cool. Yeah. Cause I mean, there's also this concept of doing solo trips. Mm -hmm. And I think the you know, maybe how you are changed or impacted on each trip when you're with people versus being on your own could also maybe be different. Did Have you done any trips completely solo? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, my first ride across the United States was totally solo. I rode a three-speed New Belgium cruiser bike from San Diego to Washington, D.C., <laughs> And this is another one of those adventures where people are like, you're crazy. Riding across the country is already hard enough and you're going to do it on a cruiser bike. And the whole point of that ride was to show people that you don't need the most expensive gear. You don't need to be on the best bike to do something big. And I wanted to essentially inspire people to look at me and say, hey, if that guy can ride all the way across the country on a cruiser bike, maybe I can think about riding my bike to work or to the grocery store. And, you know, just do one less car trip. A lot of my missions have somewhat of an environmental, you know, message to them. And that one really was to show people like, yeah, we can all ride our bikes a little bit more and have a great time in the process. Yeah. And it forces you to connect with people when you're alone. Yes. You yeah, have absolutely. to. I have met some of my, uh, some of the, the biggest moments of trail magic have been when I'm alone. Absolutely. So that was a solo adventure. And I rode my bike across Cuba alone in 2015. And that was incredible. Cuba is such a fascinating place. I wanted to ask you about that. For some reason, I thought Dana D was around. So I did it twice. I went first alone and I loved it so much. I came back and I told Dana, do you have to come <laughs> back with me? So we did another trip um, a couple of years later. Was So here's a question. You know, when you do something and it's so amazing and then you do it again, is it disappointing? <laughs> um, no, I don't think I've ever been fully disappointed. But that first time, there's always magic to you the first time, no matter what you're doing. And of course, when you're on your own, it's uh, it just seems a little bit more monumental. And then when you come back and do it again, it's it doesn't have the same charm because you've seen it before. And it's not the first time you're you're meeting Cuba, you know, but it's yeah. still with, with Dana. We had, a, of course, we had a great time. We did a totally different route. So it was a new part of Cuba for me. 
Good. Okay, cool. I love that. Cause you know, you'll be like, oh, we got to go to this restaurant I loved. And then you'll get there and it's like, not as good. Yeah. Or and you're always like, Ugh. yeah, totally. yeah, totally. Let's talk about failed attempts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe Baja divide was yeah. a one try didn't happen. Second try you made it kind of. Yes. So <laughs> My first trip down the Baja Divide was in 2017, and that's a very difficult off-road bikepacking route that's 1,700 miles from the tip of Baja, Mexico, down to the bottom. And I had never done an official bikepacking trip. I've done bike touring, and that's a little bit different. Bike touring usually means you're on a road, you're on pavement, you, you know, you're going to drive by a gas station, pedal by a gas station every 30 miles. Baja Divide is totally off-road, the most beat-up back roads you've ever been on and you'll go days without any services. So you really have to pack food a lot more and water and be ready to be out in the desert on your own. And it was very difficult. The riding was difficult. Everything about that ride was difficult. I had also just run my first hundred mile race a week before I left for Baja. So my body was a little uh, exhausted for lack of a better word. Would, would you consider that smart? <laughs> <laughs> like, well, looking back on it, I guess not. It, it really, I don't think it benefited me um, in any way. Although I had just been to the deep in the pain cave in that hundred mile race and I went right back to it in Baja. So I was like, okay, here we go. This is just the month of pain. March and of gratitude. Gratitude. March of, lots March. of gratitude March. Pushing my bike through sand and heat and um, yeah, I didn't make it. I was hoping to do the entire route in one go and I didn't do it. I made it about halfway and I decided to pull the plug. And uh, it was the first adventure I'd ever done that I didn't complete. And that was a little bit hard to swallow at the time. I'm like, wow, what this is this really, am I really not going to finish this? Am I really going to bail and go home? And, you know, I really checked in with myself and it was the right thing to do. I, I needed to go home. And I knew that Baja wasn't going anywhere and I'd come back someday. Uh, And there was a lot of lessons learned from that, you know, and that's what doing hard things is all about. It's not always accomplishing a hard thing. It's it's learning. It's learning about yourself. It's learning about the world and the environment and, you know, so many different things. And uh, I went back two years later, this last January, 2020, and I jumped back on the trail where I had ended originally. And felt so much better the whole way. My, my mindset, my attitude was much different. I hadn't just run a hundred mile race. I was fresh and ready and I made it essentially to the end. Although my bike broke about a hundred miles from the actual finish line. <laughs> so I didn't get to the actual finish line, but I will take that as a win. And so my bike broke. And the cool thing about that is I gave it to a local kid. And uh, so everybody was a winner there. You know, I think I know why you're you're drawn to doing hard things because you are on a constant quest for self-growth. Yeah. And you grow the most, you learn the most about yourself, you dig the deepest into all those scary places we don't want to look within when you're going through the hardest parts. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. It really forces you to be very very present with yourself. And that's what I love about adventures. I, I, I say that it cracks my heart open. You know, it really makes everything come into focus. 
and you're very vulnerable. And when I'm doing hard things, I really tap into kind of like the gratitude march. I tap into beautiful memories throughout my life. You know, Christmas mornings with mom and my brothers and my sisters. Because when things are hard, you want a comforting thought. And so I always go there to, to life and these beautiful moments. And it's fun to, to bring them back up and really think, wow, my life is incredible. Even though I am suffering and hating life right now in Baja, I'm thinking about Christmas in 1986 when I got that bike. And that was incredible. Man, that's actually a gift because I know for me and a lot of my friends that I've talked to, a lot of times when we're out there in motion, the random weird negative things will hit. Like, yeah. remember that boyfriend from high school and that weird situation and like, or things you're like embarrassed about or, you know, it's like, I love that you're able to focus on the things that make you feel that warm and cozy, happy feeling. And those are incredible memories that often lie dormant forever. So yeah. this is giving it, you know, your body and mind a chance to sort of dredge them up and shower yourself in love. <laughs> yeah. And you know, when I go on an adventure, it's not just that adventure I'm on. It's, it's a life adventure. I tap into all my memories. And I also, I dream about the future. I dream about what I want because you have so much time to think when you're on your bike all day and then you're laying in your tent at night. And it's, it's really, it's a valuable, valuable experience to be out there. And it doesn't have to be a big, big three week long trip or anything. It can be just a one night overnight camping trip. So what is it that you do want? <laughs> what, what is it that I do want? That's a, that's a good question. You know, I want to keep on doing what I'm doing. I truly love sharing stories with the world and inspiring viewers on YouTube. And I really, I love being part of my community in Boulder. I'm involved with a lot of different nonprofits and organizations here in my town. I, I, I love so many aspects of my life. You know, I'm 42 years old and I don't have a partner. I don't have a woman in my life. And that's something that I've kind of had to sacrifice through all these adventures because I'm gone 200 days a year. And it's really hard to maintain a relationship when you're gone all the time. And so I think it would be really special to actually meet somebody and share life together. And so who knows how this is all going to happen, but I truly believe that it, that it will. I don't get too worked up about it. I'm not on any dating apps or anything. I'm one of those kind of old school guys that feels like whenever it happens, it'll happen. And of course, I've been in relationships and I've given it a real good go and it just hasn't worked out. Okay, this has now become the matchmaking period <laughs> of the interview. We'll be taking applications yeah. afterward. Um, I love that. You know, I think when you find your person, mm -hmm. they will be someone who either really just supports you in what you do or will join you. Either yeah. way, it can yeah. work. Absolutely. Um, you talk a lot about magic. What does magic really mean to you? Is it a feeling or is it a thing? Magic to me is a feeling. It really is. And um, it can be a thing. It can be inspired by a thing. When I'm out there on my bike and I see a beautiful rainbow or a far off thunderstorm, you can see the lightning strikes light up the sky. To me, that's, that's magic. And then it becomes, it becomes a feeling because I, 
I just feel more connected to the world and to nature and to life and the beauty of it all and the chaos of it all. And, um, you know, magic can also be when I meet these trail angels on the side of the road that come out of nowhere. They weren't expecting to see me and I wasn't expecting to see them, but boom, the universe put us together at that one moment and that's magic. And then we have this beautiful, maybe it's only a 15 minute conversation. And then I, and I leave on my bike and they, they think, wow, that was crazy. You know, I've never met anybody like that. And then I think, wow, that was crazy. I've never met anybody like them. And, you know, we hold on to that for the rest of our lives. And so to me, um, magic comes in many, many shapes and forms, but it's one of those things that just makes you feel good and feel connected. You know, daily magic. That's yeah. what we, we are all questing for. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. We're rolling down through here. We're, we're almost towards the end. You got to go get to your appointment. You're a busy man. You got to go create some more uh, magic out there in Boulder. But one thing that kind of came to mind as we were talking is that you're all about putting yourself out there into the world, connecting with people, creating a better world. Have you ever considered doing retreats for people or have you done retreats and I couldn't find them in your you know, stockpile of amazing content. <laughs> I get this question a lot. Uh, if I would lead bike trips and other things like that. And I have not done this yet, you know, um, for lots of different reasons. There's a lot of logistics involved in leading a retreat or le guiding a tour. And I just, I just haven't done it yet, but I, I love the idea of it. But for right now, you know, I guess I'm just leading virtually and that's why I'm so interactive with people. Is, is I, you know, I get questions every day, you know, tell me about this and what I should do here and blah, blah, all this gear. And I'll, I'll take the time to really help people out. Um, but I would say that's, that's coming down the line at some point. Yeah, I can see it. I really can. I mean, it, it has its own issues, but it's a deeper connection. That's yeah, for sure. Absolutely, for sure. Um, so what, what adventures are still to come? What's on the bucket list? <laughs> Oh, I have, a, I have a lot of adventures on the bucket list. Depending on travel this year, I, I do want to go to England and ride the length of Great Britain. I, I lived in Sweden as an exchange student when I was 18 years old, and I've always wanted to ride from the very bottom of Sweden to the very tippy top above the Arctic Circle and chase the midnight sun. I think that would be very cool. Wow. You know, a local adventure I've never done is the Colorado Trail, and that's a very tough, burly 500-mile bike packing trip. I want to do that. I want to do more fast packing and that's running and traveling with a little backpack. And so I want to do more of that type of stuff. I, I, you know, I, I love moving my body, biking or running and just seeing where I get and going from point A to point B. And I know along the, the way in between, there's going to be a lot of magic. We've talked a lot about this. And so it doesn't really matter what the route is or what the specific adventure is. I mean, I rode my bike from my front door to Omaha, Nebraska once. And that seems like, oh, that's kind of a boring route. Eastern Colorado is flat and it's hot and Nebraska's boring and hot. And it ended up being a really charming ride through middle America. And I loved it. One of the things that stands out about you too is that you don't rush. You know, one of the, one of the things are, I, that really you know, stood out to me on your website was that you said, I have found that 15 miles an hour is the perfect pace to see the world. Yeah. 
And that is to some, I mean, that's blazing fast, but you know, it's, it, it's not necessary it, on a road bike. It's an awesome pace on a mountain bike. That's actually blazing fast. Yeah. In yeah, my sure. opinion, <laughs> Five <laughs> miles an hour could work. Um, but I just love that outlook. It's not about sprinting to the end. It's about enjoying the ride. Yeah, it really is. And that's the, that's the message I try to tell people. You know, I'll get emails all the time about gear and bikes and should I buy this $7,000 carbon bike? And I'm like, you don't need that $7,000 carbon bike. I guarantee it. Remember, I rode a three-speed cruiser across America that cost $300, you know, and it's just, it's really about the journey, you know, and we're all on this different journey on this planet doing whatever we do. And uh, it's about the in-betweens between, between A and B. Well, we are about to end our journey today. Thank oh, you so no, much. Oh, no, this has been so I know. great. <laughs> I don't think we should go. I think we should keep talking for another keep hour. Talking. Let's do it. Do it. Um, I want to join you on an adventure. Boom. Let's, Let's it. make Let's it happen. Do it. Let's do it. Seriously, we'll get Dana involved. That'd be fun. Yes. Oh, my God. That'd be a blast. Um, but I cannot let you go before I ask you the final question that I ask everyone who comes on the show. Okay. So if you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way. What is it? What is it? Uh, have, have as much fun as possible as you're doing whatever you do, because if you're enjoying what you're doing, you're going to be a lot more excited about doing it. But if it's something you dread or you hate every single day, and I understand that some adventures have an aspect of that, but you really want to be invested. You want to be passionate about whatever you choose to do on this planet. And that's going to make a huge difference. And I know it's easier said than done, but it's a practice. And the more you practice, the better you're going to get. And I don't really like the saying practice makes perfect. I like more like practice makes you pretty darn good. You know, because perfect is something that's hard to strive for. None of us are perfect, right? So just get out there, have fun, and, uh, you know, smile. Perfect way. Perfect (laughs) way to end today. We had a lot of practice in this today on our little chit chat. I want to let you know that my daughter Wilder, who's nine, she Mm. popped in for a moment. You probably saw me waving to her. Um, she once came home and declared that there is no such thing as perfect. The only thing that's perfect is the word perfect. Oh, wow. And that practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes progress. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So there's a lot of spins the young, on we need to, That's another thing. We need to listen to young people more often. They have things figured out. They we do. And we so need to. Smart. We need to channel our own inner nine-year-olds more often too. And I think that's one thing you're so wonderful at. (laughs) So keep, keep enjoying that sort of childlike magic when you're out there because it's benefiting all of us. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. This has been like one of the most fun podcast experiences of my life. You are awesome. Oh my God. You are awesome. (laughs) I wish we could have done it in person. Damn COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, that was really fun. I appreciate it. That really was great. All right. All right. You guys, what a gift. This guy, this Ryan Van Duzer, he is just damn. He's such a, he's so awesome. That's it. Boom. 
I would say there are probably at least a dozen nuggets in this episode. I'm going to put you to task. Tell me what nugget you like the best. Yeah, he had his final nugget. And yeah, we need to get outside and have fun doing it. But there were about a dozen more nuggets. So boom, let me know what yours was, what your favorite was, which one resonated the most with you. And, um, and don't forget to come over to Nicole at NicoleDeBoom.com, not come over, email me there, and let me know if you want me to keep doing my own personal little updates at the beginning of each episode, or if you want me to just dive right into my guests. Um, and if you do want me to just dive into my guests, you can always get more of these personal updates. Sign up for my email newsletter at NicoleDeBoom.com, just go all the way to the bottom of the page. There's also a link on my Instagram to sign up, follow me on social media, all of that. And that way we can get right into the meat of the episodes. Or maybe you're going to be like, yeah, I love hearing your updates. I just can't get enough of your amazing updates. <laughs> okay, that's it, you guys. Um, I've had an awesome time today. I hope you have too. But you know what time it is now. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>